Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Quoting the Salt Lake Tribune now. In response to the uproar over critical race theory, the Utah Board of Education has approved a new set of standards that spell out what teachers can, and especially what they cannot, say to their students about ethnicity, inclusion, equity, and culture. The Utah legislature has also passed resolutions on this topic. And today we're going to try to define what critical race theory is and isn't, and talk about what should and shouldn't be taught in Utah's schools. Uh, A couple of notes for this program. For this program, we tried to reach uh, some folks who might express concerns specifically about critical race theory or critical race theory being taught in schools, and we have been unsuccessful to this point. Uh, Also, another note, this program was recorded on Tuesday. And now I'll ask our guests to introduce themselves. My name is Cree Taylor, and I am a lecturer at Utah State University. This is my second year as a full-time lecturer there, and I recently got my master's in English literature and writing from Utah State as well. And currently I'm teaching. I teach composition and writing and intro to ethnic studies, um, and that kind of drives my day today. When I'm not on campus at Utah State, I have three little kids, a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, and so I chase them around and then <laughs> wake up the next day and go back to work. <laughs> Very good. That keeps you busy, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, so you, te- you teach at USU, do you? I do. Yeah. I mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, say your name and same thing. You yeah. Introduce it, uh, us to you. Yeah. You to us. My name is Beth Boisry, and I'm the Director of Composition for the English Department at Utah State University. This is the start of my third year there. Um, and so what that means is that I supervise and mentor the all of the English 1010 and 2010 um, courses and teachers in the program. And when I'm not on campus... I have two kids and wrangle them around. They're 12 and 9. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, we want to talk a bit about a hot topic these days, critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, nationwide, uh, here in Utah, the Utah legislature recently uh, passed a couple of resolutions about this. The state school board just very recently um, passed some guidelines, issued some guidelines uh, on this. Um, so starting with Creed, um, a good place to start, there's a dispute over what is critical race theory. <laughs> what is critical race theory? At least your understanding. Okay, my understanding of critical race theory. Critical race theory is a lens um, through which you can analyze something. Um, so you can look at something from the perspective of women. You can look at, a, at something through the perspective of a specific country or um through the perspective of, of someone who has a certain job. How do people working in finance feel about this this text or this issue? Critical race theory is a lens or perspective to look at a topic, and that's through the lens of race. How, has, how do people of a certain racial identity view this topic or view this understanding? Um, and how does this system or structure or text or event affect people of certain racial identities? Um, so for me, as I'm looking at critical race theory and as I apply it to my classroom and to my life, um, it provides me and students the opportunity to see the role that race has played um, in certain structures and events um, and texts throughout you know, history. All right. Uh, so, Beth, what uh, your definition of um, critical race theory? Well, and I took a PhD level course on critical race theory, and so my PhD is in cultural studies. And so, in that course, uh, which was taught by Dr. Paula Groves Price, um, we learned that critical race theory um, started from critical legal studies, and it is um, uh, a the- like Cree was saying, a theoretical lens to examine structures um, in society. And so part of the tenets of critical race theory acknowledge that racism is structurally embedded in society, um, and it um, advocates for ways for us to recognize and name those structures which perpetuate um, inequality and inequity, and then um, advocate for change and solutions to address those inequities. Yeah. So you both talked about, um, you know, classroom, but but on the university level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before we jump into the to K through 12, and that's where the whole debate is, mm-hmm. Kri, you talked about applying this in your life. Yes. Uh, lens to, so t- talk a little bit more about that. 
I don't like to use the word privilege because it's such a loaded, <laughs> loaded word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Um, for your listeners, you can't see me. Um, I identify and am a black woman. I grew up in Southeast Idaho. I lived, I did my undergraduate work at Utah State. I did my graduate work at Utah State. We live here. We live here in predominantly white um, communities. And so when I think about like how critical race theory is a lens through which I view my life, I have no choice but to see how race impacts my day-to-day life and my day-to-day living. Um, It's not a lens that I have the privilege to take off. So when I think about how critical race theory applies in my life, the first thing I think about is, is being a mother because when I'm not at school, that's the only other thing I do um, is hang out with my, with my kids whom I love so much. Um, And so if we're talking about structures and um, things that have been put into place that keep racial minorities out, which is what critical race theory asks us to examine and look at, um, I have to talk to my daughter about um, the fact that not that many years ago, Um, interracial marriage was illegal. My husband is white. Um, She's six. And so I can't just say, well, back then um, people were just kind of mean and they bullied people who had interracial marriage. No, structurally, there was a law that said me and your dad could not get married. And so on this day, Loving Day, named after the, it's not today, it was a couple months ago, but named after the, the Lovings who finally made it so that interracial marriages were legal in the United States, I tell my six-year-old, now that's not illegal anymore. The structure has been changed, and your dad and I can be married and be happy. So I'm not telling her, critical race theory tells us, my beautiful six-year-old daughter, I'm telling her, hey, there was a structure, there was a law that prevented this, and now because of activism, because of people who recognize that like humans are humans and they can be with each other and marry, your dad and I can be married, and it's fine. Um, critical race theory, so strange to say how it applies to my life just because it is my life. My life, I, everything I see is viewed um, through my identity as a black woman. Everything I see, everything I interact with and do is racialized. So uh, my understanding has been the critical race theory is taught uh, graduate level. Mm-hmm. I mean, mostly, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Beth, you had a graduate level class, right? Yes, I did. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's taught undergrad. Um, not in mine. I, my yeah, undergraduate mm-hmm. work was in English and history, and nobody ever mentioned those words critical race theory to me. I learned yeah. more about the practice as a master's student. Yeah. I have not been aware of, and I've not read of an instance where critical race theory as such has has been taught in K through 12. Have you, either of you? Uh, No, it wouldn't make sense. No, it wouldn't make sense. We were talking about this earlier, just like any sort of theoretical lens that you learn about at a more advanced level of study, you you might apply that lens to to class as a teacher. You're like, okay, how am I looking at issues of inequity? But you're not teaching the kindergartner or the elementary school student uh, a more complex theory, just like any discipline wouldn't teach that complex theory in terms of the, the vocabulary. They wouldn't, they wouldn't teach the theory, but they would consider, okay, how do I apply this? Yeah. Um, but the theory itself is not being taught, as yeah. far as I know, yeah. in a K through 12 setting. And as far as you know, is, uh, I, I'd go, w- would you consider, I mean, some would say this is a solution search of a problem. Is mm-hmm. that what... Uh, you would say that's a really, really complicated um, counter to that. I, yeah, I've been reading up on these laws. I mean, Idaho was one of the first states to pass a critical race theory bill law. They passed it their last legislative session. That's where my family is. So I read up on theirs. I read up on Utah's law, and in both cases, legislatures have said this is a solution in search of a problem. Nobody is teaching critical race theory in elementary school because that's not appropriate for the grade level of those students, right? Which is what Beth just Mm -hmm. talked about. But in my view, if teachers, which I can't think of one teacher that would be doing this, but if teachers were not considering race and identity in their planning of lessons, that is a problem, Mm -hmm. right? In these laws and in these bills and in um, different circles, critical race theory is being misdefined being misidentified so when they're like this is a problem teachers this is a solution in search of a problem it's looking for the one um, ninth grade teacher that's teaching critical race theory that's not it right the problem would be if teachers aren't being aware 
of what they're teaching students, um, not teaching about history from multiple perspectives, not including texts and literature um, from different diverse groups. That's the problem, right? You want teachers to create and develop curriculum that keeps race in mind. Um, that's how we create better citizens, and that's how we move and activate for positive change. Uh, so uh, I think you could describe this as a battle over history, what history we teach. Is, is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's part of it, certainly. And critical race theory does say that that history has to be foregrounded in our conversations, that we can't ignore um, the historical actions that have that have made that structural inequity possible. You're listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're talking about critical race theory. Uh, of course, there's a furor over this all across the nation, including in Utah. The Utah legislature has passed resolutions on the topic, and the state school board recently has issued guidelines. We're talking about this with uh, Cree Taylor, a lecturer in the English department at USU, and Beth Boisery, assistant professor and director of composition in the USU English department. We'll have more following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Cash Theater Company, presenting Monty Python's Spamalot, a new musical lovingly ripped off from the classic film comedy Monty Python and the Holy Grail, showing at the Ellen Eccles Theater August 13th through August 21st. Tickets available at cashtheater.com. My name is Amy Van Tatenhove, and I'm a PhD student at USU studying American White Pelicans in the Great Salt Lake. I'm also a science intern at UPR. Scientists often have trouble communicating their research to the public, and I plan to use the skills I'm learning here at UPR to share important science in an accessible and exciting way. The John Morris UPR Student Reporter Fund will help other students like me continue to improve their communication skills. As a scientist, I've had many people help build the person I am today, but one of the most notable is Matt Berg, my high school biology teacher. He made me realize I could think through tough problems and do real science, even as a high school student in a small town. His belief in my skills gave me the confidence to step out of my comfort zone and push myself harder. Much like how he helped me become the person I am today, John Morris guided countless journalism students to success in his time as a professor at USU. Consider thanking someone who made an impact in your life by donating to UPR at upr.org and supporting me and other interns in our journey. Thanks so much for your support. Freedom! On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll dance to Soka from Trinidad, Compa from Haiti, and Ska from Jamaica. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for the Caribbean, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Thursday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. This week in This American Life. Animal lovers love wild seals on a beach near San Diego, but they disagree on how close to the seals they should get, and it is not bringing out a good side of people. So you're spitting on me now, huh? I didn't touch you. You spit on me. You're harassing me. You spit on me. I spit on your camera. How great we are dealing with nature this week. Saturday morning at 10 here on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking today about critical race theory. And we're trying to define what it is and isn't. And we're talking about what should and shouldn't be taught in Utah's schools. Our guests include Cree Taylor, a lecturer in the English department at Utah State University, and Beth Boisery, assistant professor and director of composition in the USU English department. Each of my guests uh, on the program today has studied uh, critical race theory. Let me run uh, this past uh, each of you. So resolution from Utah legislature, um, they called for a ban on any, any class materials that would teach that one race is inherently superior or inferior to another and that people's moral character is influenced by their race. What, what do you think of that? I would. <laughs> so this comes down to in this bill. The, it appears that the Utah, Utah State Legislature is misdefining critical race theory. Any critical race theorist, and maybe I shouldn't speak for all of them, <laughs> but as a person who applies critical race theory in my classroom in life, I 100% agree with that statement from the bill. Um, and critical race theory says that too. It says 
one race is not inherently superior or inferior to another. Critical race theory argues that. So when, when this bill says we are not allowing teachers to teach that, critical race theorists go, yes, mm-hmm. please don't teach that. We don't want you to teach that race, certain racial groups are superior or inferior to another. Um, great job. And then the bill, like you just read, um, that an individual should be, that an individual's moral character is determined by the individual's race. Critical race theorists say, you're right. It's not. Your individual moral character is not determined by your race. Um, so we're cheering. I'm looking at this bill. It, um, there are certain sections of it that I have issues with, but I'm looking at these things and I'm going, I'm sending my daughter to kindergarten kindergarten this year. Yes, I'm so glad that her teacher's not going to get up there and tell her that she's racially inferior or racially superior because like, that's false. It's not true. So when I read that, great, good job. The issue is, is this bill is saying that critical race theory argues the opposite of that, which is not true. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Beth? I think that they're not, def- like Cree was saying, they're not defining it at all. And I think um, if I hadn't, so I'm a white woman and I, um, Cree was saying that you know, she's like, I can't go through my whole, I can't go through any part of my life without thinking about race or thinking about race because it's, 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 I'm forced to think about it. As a white woman, I also... Race also impacts me throughout everything that I do. But as a white woman, I'm not forced to think about it. It's perceived as as neutral. Um, and so I think that people who don't know what critical race theory is are are under the impression that critical race theory um, wants uh, white people to just feel guilty for racism, where critical race theory, that is not a tenet of critical race theory. It actually, um, anyone who does critical work on race argues that um, just having white people feel guilty for racism doesn't actually do anything. We need the, the change. We need the result in change. And if the only, the, only, um, uh, the only aim is for people to feel guilty, then no one, no one argues that that is helpful. So I think critical race theory is being misunderstood in the law. Um, and it's just sort of being used as a pseudonym for we want white people to perhaps feel guilty um, rather than actually saying what critical race theory is, like the tenets of critical race theory. Um, and so I think that, like Cree, there's a lot in the law that I would support, and I think a lot of critical race theories, theorists might support Um if critical race theory was actually defined accurately, then they wouldn't be they wouldn't be um, there wouldn't be a bill trying to um, downplay or eliminate critical race theory in the schools. What it would actually be saying is because the law says that we want to go through the curriculum and look to make sure that that race isn't um, being taught in a way to make one person superior or inferior. They would actually be using critical race theory to help make sure that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, Cree, uh, you shook your head vehemently in agreement with Beth when she said that critical race theory does not say that white people should feel, you know, guilty. That that, at least, that's what all critical race theory is. Uh, maybe expand on that. Right. So, um, as I watch and listen and participate, especially around this, because it governs my life, it governs my teaching, and so. And when my family's in Idaho, when Idaho passed their law, I was like, I guess I can't come teach there. I, I guess uh, I'm, I'm not moving home because this is my teaching. And then I read the law and I was like, oh, they're misdefining it. Mm-hmm. Um, so critical race theory at its very bare, bare bones and bare, bare bones understanding started in legal studies. There are kind of three key elements that work for me as a teacher um, and as a mother. The first one is that race is made up. Race was invented to make life convenient for some people and inconvenient for others. When it comes down to differences between black people and white people, the differences in how we present, like that's it. It's as much as of a difference between siblings, our our, uh, phenotype, if we want to get scientific. That's the difference. So critical race theory says race is a social construct. Race was invented. There's no inherent difference between the races. Um, Critical race theory then says because race was constructed – People historically found ways to codify those differences in law and to continue to hurt minorities in law. It's built in the structures of society. And with the example, okay, you can't marry, you can't intermarry. That's evidence that race is embedded in structure, right? Um, We can't integrate schools. Um, You can only live here, right? Those are structures. Those are people built these structures. So that's the second element of critical race theory. And then the third is once you know that a structure is unjust, 
you got to act and you have to use your voice and use your um, power to change unequal and unfair laws. Those, that's it. Those are the three things. Race was invented. Because of that invention, structures were developed to keep people down, certain racial minorities down. And now that you know, how are you going to fix it? Um, the critical race theory is not there to say you are white and therefore you are bad and you are a racist and you're a horrible person. Critical race theory does not say that. And in the stuff that I've studied, in the anti-racism work that I've studied and participated in, no one says because you are white, you are horrible and awful and the sins of your parents are on your head. No. All it's saying is, can we work together now? Now that we want, if we want discrimination and racism to be behind us, let's be made aware of what happened historically and work together to change it. Work together to, to actively uplift everyone. Um, that phrase, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. If these discrimination, these, these, this discrimination was out of these structures, out of these laws, everyone benefits it doesn't put one person above another person. It helps all of us. So I, I just, I want people to understand that critical race theory isn't about like you're horrible because you are white. I, there are too many white people in my life whom I love to believe that. It's not true. Um, critical race theory just says there are times in your life where whiteness has benefited you and it's codified in the structures of our nation. How can you help other people also have access to those? Who can you vote for? What laws can you write? How can you change your classroom to help uplift all voices? Um, that's what it's asking. It's not asking for guilt because guilt really doesn't service, serve anybody. It doesn't help anything. Hmm. Beth, let me uh, address this to you first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm reading from the Salt Lake Tribune. They're reporting on, on this. And so this is a characterization of the writer of this article. But uh, I've heard this uh, 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 other place. I'll just read this uh, this paragraph. Salt Lake Tribune. While critical race theory first emerged in the 1970s, those on the political right have recently latched onto it as a threat to the nation's children, arguing that it inappropriately inserts race into classroom instruction that should be colorblind. So that last sentence um, is problematic. <laughs> yeah. So so connects those critical race theory. Do that. Let me read it again. Mm-hmm. Inappropriately inserts race into a classroom instruction that should be colorblind. I don't think it inappropriately inserts race because if because for so long we were taught to be colorblind, especially me growing up as a white person. Like that was I was from the colorblind uh, generation where we were taught not to talk about race at all. But in t- in t- in being taught not to talk about race at all, then we lost all language to talk about race and racism and its effect on society and education. Um, and so, so for example, I teach writing, like Cree, I teach writing, and it's very easy to say, it would be very easy to say that writing is just a very neutral, colorblind topic. You know, you write the, you write an essay and you turn it in and that's, and that's fine. But there are so many aspects of composition and teaching and assessment, um, school funding, all of those things, race and the structures of racism um, have impacted all of those things. And so for me, particularly as a white teacher, to say, I'm not going to look at students, my students' race at all, or I'm not going to look at the effects of racism at all, regardless of the race of my students, is just to ignore the fact that those structural inequities exist. Um, And then I'm participating in, in reinforcing those inequities rather than examining, oh, because it would be very easy to teach a curriculum um, and say, I don't teach literature, but say a literature class that looks at all white authors. That's been a traditional canon for a long time. It'd be very easy to just continue that and not look at aspects of race. But so I think the idea of being colorblind is what would be inappropriate in schools because race does exist and people from different racial identities do exist and they bring not even they bring, there is a wealth of knowledge in all groups. And if your classroom is not intentionally set up to look at and examine all of those knowledges and perspectives, then your, and I'm putting this in quotes, then your colorblind classroom is not a race-neutral class classroom. It's still discriminating. Can I add yes. Yes. an example? Just yes. um, the term, you, the inserting race into things that should be colorblind um, in my view colorblindness when it comes to people and humans is impossible that phrase I don't see color is a lie like 
you looking at me, me looking at you, I can see your shirt is white, right? Or I could say, I don't see color. Your shirt's just a shirt, even though I know I'm looking at it. I know that it's <laughs> white, right? Um, and so when people advocate, there are certain topics in school that should be colorblind. Um, the first one that comes to my mind, um, because Beth and I were talking about it and I thought about it and learned this um, as an adult. I didn't learn this in my high school or elementary school. Um, but thinking about the development of science and technology. A science class is a perfect place for colorblind education. Either you flick the switch and the lights turn on, there's no race involved with that at all, except there is, right? We credit Thomas Edison and some people, uh, Nikolai Tesla, right, for, the, for electricity in the light bulb. When, in fact, a black man helped inform and shape the light bulb. Uh, he invented this the carbon filament in this light bulb, worked with some of the scientists of the day, published work, and contributed to the development of, light, of the light bulb, Lewis Latimer. You could look it up, my friends. But at school, I was taught Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, colorblind education. So then as a brown student, a black student sitting in his classroom, I think, man, I guess the only worthwhile things black people did were, um, I guess, civil rights movement, like, but we didn't invent anything at all. Because no one told me. That's colorblind education, right? And in America, and I've never lived anywhere else, so I can't speak to anywhere else, but in America, in the two states that I've lived in, colorblind means white. White becomes neutral. Um, and that, it, just, it just doesn't work. There, there are gaps, and students recognize what you're not teaching them. They're very smart. Those kindergartners are brilliant. Mm -hmm. I, I have one, and I'm so scared. She's smart. They know. Um, colorblind education, I would argue, is, is impossible. You're always leaving someone out, always. Let me, uh, let me direct this first to Creed. Um, the new, the brand new uh, Board of Education rules mm -hmm. that have gone into effect, uh, which have followed on in some concepts from the legislature, um, my understanding would prohibit certain kinds of discussions um, in in your, I don't know if you're familiar with those those new rules. Or would, I'm not familiar with the new ones. Yeah, I'm familiar with the old ones. Yeah, because as when I was studying, I learned their old stuff, but I'm not familiar with the yeah. new ones. Well, let me ask it this way: um, Do you worry that um, you know in in a in a worry uh, about in this pure over critical race theory that uh, that we might retreat to teaching in our classrooms? Um, I get to safety, right? "Quote unquote safety." Well, safety for who? Mm -hmm. And safety for who? So, so yes. What, what do you think? My fear is I have a very brown son. Um, he's three. My fear is that if people keep saying you can't talk about race in the classroom, you can't point out race in the classroom, by the time he's in school, he's coming home and asking me why black people have never done anything worthwhile. Um, that should not happen in his lifetime. It happened in mine and in my schooling. What's going on? Where are the people who look like me? Where are the things that they that they have done are success that where are this where are the successes that they've had outside of oh we're no longer slaves and we fought for civil rights that frankly a lot of us don't really even still have right and that are frankly still under attack today. Um, so my fear is that when when people are talking about well we talk, if you talk about race in my class it hurts my child. If you don't talk about race in your class it hurts my child. Why is your child's safety? more important than my child feeling empowered in his body and empowered in who he is um, as a little black boy getting ready to, to go to school here in Logan, Utah. Um, there's a, th yes, just safety for who? Who's, who's being protected? And when these conversations aren't being had, the, the discomfort that white students feel when we're like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about um, why this racial discrimination was happening. Let's read what Dr. King was talking about. Let's read what Malcolm X was talking about. That discomfort that white students feel when race conversations come up. As a black student myself, I felt that discomfort every single day when teachers tiptoed around those conversations. And yes, for me, it's valuable. I was lucky I went home and learned. I did my own reading. It's also valuable for white students to learn those things. Mm -hmm. Because if we're talking critical race theory, man, they are voters. They are future citizens. If they recognize a structure that's unfair, I want them to be just as informed so that when they're voting, when they're legislating, they know how history has impacted these things and they can be active and make changes for the, for the greater good, for the benefit of everyone. Um, so if that stuff's all pulled out, like what am I supposed to do with my children and how much more harmful is it going to be to those white children once they leave K through 12? They come to college. They go to their first job. They move out of state. We're in Utah. They head out on their mission with all these ideas 
of what race is and they're smacked in the face with all this injustice, I mean, it's going to be harmful to them too. But what do you think uh, about this? I'm not sure if you're familiar with the new school board rules. But, I'm um, not. But uh, what, what's your worry that, uh, that, it, that it might what, – what do you worry it might restrict, I guess? Well, I – well, like Cree, I worry that it might actually restrict the learning potential and capability of all the students in my classroom. Um, I also worry that it comes down to censorship uh, and that if we are saying – because talk if, – if we're saying to teachers, uh, don't talk about issues of race or, or anything that makes people, quote, unquote, uncomfortable. Again, we're mostly then talking about what makes white students uncomfortable, um, whereas not talking about race – certainly is dangerous um, for not just students of color, but for all students. So I worry censorship. I worry um, that it also affects the teacher's ability to teach, um, that we, that that the, because our content is not neutral, like so many people even outside of writing essay, you know, could you just please teach writing? We just need them to teach the five paragraph essay and make sure that all their commas and the rights are in the right space. But there's so much about writing that has to do with who your audience is. And if you're looking at it in the lens of critical race theory, why are we always presuming a white audience? You know, what other audiences should we be um, examining and looking at and seeking out? So even looking, even teaching in the sense of like audience, we can talk neutrally, quote unquote, about, you know, make sure you have an audience or we can really think about like, who's your audience who, or who's not your audience or who are you leaving out of your audience? So all of these things make it so that if we take, if we restrict teachers ability to talk about issues of race, which also means then we're restricting their ability to talk about issues of power and language and knowledge, um, then we are actually um, restricting their ability to teach effectively, which I think then makes all of our students less effective in terms of their education. I mean, in terms of writing, it would make them less effective writers. If we're not actively seeking multiple perspectives when we ask students to research, if we're not looking at the complicated issues, if we're not providing students with the language to negotiate those complications, then we're just going to get sort of the same traditional five-paragraph essay on what students think they already know. And we're not actually learning. We're just sort of regurgitating. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about critical race theories, much in the news nationwide and here in Utah as well. Utah legislature has passed resolutions on the topic. The state school board has approved a new set of standards in this area. And we're talking about this with Cree Taylor, a lecturer in the English department at Utah State University, and Beth Boisery, assistant professor and director of composition in the USU English department. And we'll have more following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and the Utah Women and Leadership Project at Utah State University, relaunching the Utah Women and Leadership podcast series. Information and episodes are available at utwomen.com. Did you know that one in four girls is sexually assaulted before age 18? That's an estimated 42 million women in the United States. Violence against women remains largely unreported due to the impunity, silence, stigma, and shame surrounding it. I'm Dr. Susan Matson, founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. In our next episode, we'll talk about supporting survivors and ending violence against women. Listen now at utwomen.org. So I'm at my new job, and I'm called into my boss's office, and I'm told what my first task is going to be. I'm in charge of the United Nations visit of the Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. Join us for stories of false accusations, physical limitations, and trying to play host to a dictator. That's next time on the Moth Radio Hour from PRX. Tomorrow morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. The Moth is true stories told live, and this October you can experience it in person with all of us here at UPR. Join us at the Ellen Eccles Theater in Logan on October 21st for the Moth Main Stage. Just like the Moth Radio Hour, this live show will revolve around a theme, with storytellers exploring it often in unexpected ways. Since each story is true and every voice authentic, the show dances between documentary and theater. Tickets are available now. Find a link at upr.org, and we hope we'll see you there. 
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. This hour, we're talking about critical race theory. And uh, we're defining what it is and isn't. And we're talking about should and shouldn't be taught in Utah's schools. Our guests include Cree Taylor, a lecturer in the English department at Utah State University, and Beth Boisery, assistant professor and director of composition in the USU English department. Let me just get your reaction, each of your reactions, starting with Cree, uh, to Congressman Burgess Owens, uh, who is, uh, he's proposed legislation um, preventing uh, teaching of critical race theory in, in schools. Um, he represents, I believe it's the 4th District, uh, Salt Lake area, um, here in Utah, a Republican. Um, just uh, He recently wrote a, uh, an op-ed, uh, just to read a little bit uh, from this. Um, let me get to this point here. Uh, quoting Congressman Owens, If you're looking for systemic racism, don't look in the American story. It can be found in an educational system that has yet to teach true history in its entirety. Um and he says, critical race theory denies the 245 years we've spent honoring the accomplishments of the black community and instead presents a hapless and hopeless interge- intergenerational community, one historically oppressed by a more powerful and privileged white race. Uh, I'm guessing you disagree with his characterization of critical race theory. I do. My heart is like pounding. My heart is pounding. Um, I am not from the 4th District. Um, is this congressperson an educator, a teacher, um, I'm not sure a historian? Yeah, I don't know what he's um, a lawyer, is. a lawyer, um, a principal, a school administrator. Mm-hmm. I. It's hard for me to hear people who aren't from the field legislate about the field as a teacher, man. As a teacher, it ticks me off. Right? How come these lawmakers who have not taught? And who don't have experience in teaching are legislating what I'm supposed to do as a professional educator in my classroom. I do. I have my secondary ed certifications, and every once in a while I'm like, mm, maybe I'll go teach at Logan High, and then stuff like this happens, and I'm like, nope, I'm gonna stay right where I am, um, so that so that I can talk to teachers about teaching. Um, critical race theory does not ask us to ignore the progress that has already been made in the country as far as racial discrimination goes. Um, when I share instances that I face on a day-to-day basis of, of being racially profiled, um, people will say, well, I mean, it's not as bad as it was. Like, at least you and your husband can be married. Um, at least you don't have to fear that your children are going to get sold away. And I'm like, you're right. It isn't as bad as it was. <laughs> um, and I am grateful for that. Um, but is that it? Like we're just going in, in society, we're just going for, well, it was not as bad as it was. Like, it's, it's all right. Let's just move forward. And like, let's move forward with progress, continuing to break down these barriers. Um, here in Utah, we love our history. We love our roots, right? People love genealogy and connecting with their families. And, and it's said, right, if you learn something about your ancestor, you learn something new about yourself. And maybe that characteristic in your ancestor is shown in your behaviors and how you're acting in your sphere today. The same rules apply, right? You learn from your ancestors' mistakes and you try not to repeat them. Countries are not perfect. So 245 years that's not that much time. And in that time, oh, yeah, the United States has made incredible, incredible strides, right, in 245 years. But what about the next 245? Don't we want to be able to look back and go, yeah, uh, it was an issue um, that we were restricting voting rights um, in 2021. But now, 200 years later, Everyone has this opportunity to vote. We're not discriminating against people based off their quote-unquote socioeconomic status, based off their racial identity, based off their language identity. People can vote in this country, right? That's progress we want to make. So no, respectfully, but maybe not so respectfully, this legislator, this person, he's wrong. Critical race theory does not do that. It doesn't say ignore the past. It says let's learn, let's acknowledge the progress that we made, but then let's continue progressing. Like that is what life is about and in every element of life, especially when it comes to racial relations in this country. So let me just have you yeah. react to this. Uh, just repeat the last part of Congressman Owens. Uh, he said critical race theory, uh, according to him, um, it presents a hapless and hopeless intergenerational community, one historically oppressed by a more powerful and privileged white race. 
Well, and I will just take this as someone going back to sort of all of the scholarship around critical race theory, because it's, again, it's, it's, it's based on academic and legal studies and educational studies scholarship. So, so in the class that I took, we read books and articles upon articles and articles. And, you know, you can, you can read all of the the scholarship that was started by Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw, and there, that is just not in any of that scholarship at all. So I think it goes back to sort of people assuming what they think critical race theory is, rather than going back to looking at what does the actual scholarship, what does the actual theory say, because mm-hmm. it's just simply not a part of critical race theory. Well, mm-hmm. And Beth and I were talking, that's a, that's a, a real privilege to be able to go through yes, to is. take a whole class on critical <laughs> race theory and read all the literature. We recognize that your people, your average person does not have that Mm-mm. kind of time. Mm-mm. They got kids, they got jobs, they've got school, they have other responsibilities. So they get home and it's like, what are we even going to eat for dinner? Okay, let me watch the news. Let me watch the Olympics. <laughs> let me watch the news. I'm going to bed. On the news, someone says critical race theory causes us to ignore the progress that we've made and tells us that white people are superior. And they go, holy crap, I had no clue. And then they go to bed because they don't have time to read no, the word. And, if, and especially as a white woman, if, if someone had come on the news and said critical race theory tells us to ignore progress and that all it does is paint people of color as inferior and shouldn't be taught in schools, I would probably agree with it. Because I was like, if that is what is being portrayed as critical race theory, of course, I'm not going to be for like oppression in schools or people feeling bad about themselves. I I just think it's unfortunate, like this power play that uh, certain people are trying to exert against minority communities, it's affecting the white communities as well. They're exerting this power to get people in this community to fear something that they should not be fearing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not fair. And it's not kind. And I don't like that. That's what's being done. Finally, um, just setting aside this whole debate, it's fewer over critical race theory, uh, starting with you, Beth, mm-hmm. what should be taught in K through 12? What, uh, what, are, what are some elements, you know, two or three key elements that should be taught? Well, if we're, especially if we're still keeping the focus um, on race and racism, like the, the law that they, that they just um, put into place says that we want um, the negative impacts of racism to be talked about and respectfully. I think that should be taught. So that part of the law, I, I still agree with. So, so looking at what have been the effects, um, where have we made progress, but what are the continued effects and, and what do we need to make change? And then, and then thinking, of course, in terms of like writing and literature, like how are we making sure that the literature that we're teaching in schools represents everybody in the schools? Um, students of color, LGBTQ students, um, multilingual students, like how do we make sure that that the literature um, is not just including everyone, but affirming everyone. Uh, so I think that those are a couple things that need to be actively taught. Um, and then also history, uh, a broader lens of history, because some of the things that, that Kree and I talked about today, like we didn't learn this growing up in our K through 12 schools. Um, and I think, uh, and I'll say this particularly as a white person, I think not teaching some of the those concepts um, when you're younger and you have the ability to talk about it makes it so that and then when you hear it as an adult, you don't have the language for it. And so then it's even harder to have these continued d- discussions um, as an adult. So. I agree. Uh, I'll give you the final word. As same question. Um, you know, spinning this positively, what should be uh, taught in K through 12? What What are some of the top elements? Um, some of the top elements. I'm just I'm looking at this resolution. This resolution recognizes the importance of appropriate education on history, civil rights, and racism. Um, and I'm thinking about elementary schools because that's where my kids are headed. Um, and so as I'm, and I don't like to tell teachers what to teach because they're so swamped. But what I hope for my daughter is that when she's sitting in her kindergarten classroom um, and the teacher provides examples, um, shows a picture of kids playing and asks them to identify the picture, there's a, there aren't, it's not just white kids in the picture, that there are lots of people in that picture. Um, when the, she sits down to read a story, um, one of my son's favorite books, Jabari Jumps, loves that story. It's just about a little black kid and his dad and his sister at the pool jumping in to go swimming, right? It's Which you can talk about at an older level, the racial connotations of swimming and swimming pools. Mm-hmm. But for a kindergartner, like, it's just a cute story about a little boy who likes to jump. It's not a black person book. It's not a black kid book. It's a kid book about courage, being able to jump off of the diving board. Um, as a high schooler myself, it would have been really nice to be taught more about African-American history and black history um, outside of 
Black History Month because black history is American history. Um, indigenous history is American history. Women's history is American history. Um, immigrant, history of immigrants um, coming to the United States is American history. So as a high schooler, I would have loved to be able to read those primary source documents that came from the voices of black people who were writing and publishing during the times of slavery, right? To show that these voices have always been active. Activism is not new. The writing for black people is not new. It's always been happening. So that's what I would hope to see and to continue to see those improvements on is, okay, we have the basic facts of what happened. How did the women view this? How did um, the indigenous populations and the Native Americans in this country view this? How did black men, black women, um, members of the LGBTQIA community, how did these people view what happened? Because they were writing and speaking, but for some reason, their voices stay silent to our children until they maybe take Mm -hmm. an African-American history course in college, and then it's all just this blindsided thing. So as I look at K-12 education in Utah, because that's where my kids are going to be, I'm just asking for progress, for for a book, for a picture, for a coloring page, um, for a conversation, uh, maybe something hard's happening in the news that is revolved around race, and for teachers to, to exercise that bravery I know they already have, and to talk about it in an age-appropriate way with my kid. Um, so that they can hear it from another voice that's not just me rambling on, rambling to them at home, but they can hear someone else engaging in those conversations. Um, no, critical race theory as a theory shouldn't be taught in K-12 through schools. Um, it's a graduate level theory, but it should be applied in how we choose to structure classrooms and how we choose to educate our children and educate ourselves because of that activism component. How are we going to work together to make this world a better place for everyone if we don't even understand um, the voice those people who are suffering in this world right now. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate that. We appreciate our guests uh, joining us today. Cree Taylor, lecturer in the English Department at Utah State University, and Beth Boisery, assistant professor and director of composition in the USU English uh, Department. And uh, we thank you for listening to Access Utah today, our uh, discussion on critical race theory. It's many cultures, one sky on Skywatcher Leo T. As we look up, look around, get a little bit lost in space with NASA's James Webb Telescope, Golden Surfer. This is finely tuned, almost ready to go beyond the orbit of the moon to provide incredibly clear images of the solar system, the Milky Way, and other galaxies, as well as other star systems. After decades of preparation, the successor to the Hubble telescope is set to launch this fall. The telescope is almost three times larger than the vaunted Hubble and seven times more powerful in its ability to discern faint stars and galaxies at the edge of time. And let's do a little space exploration of our own. Perseid meteors are fragments from the comet Swift-Tuttle. The Earth orbits the comet's path every August, and fragments of the comet shoot across the Earth's atmosphere, creating an ethereal engagement between space and Earth. You might catch some earlier from all directions, but midnight to dawn is the best time. The later the better, and you increase your chances of seeing them by being in an open, dark space, the mountains or desert. Take your favorite lawn chair out and look to the northeast toward Cassiopeia and Perseus. Enjoy the night sky into the wee hours. The Pleiades star cluster will come up and enhance the green streaks across the sky in the mornings of 11th of August and 12th for peak viewing. From Sangeeta, the African sky, it's many cultures, one sky. On a clear night, a glance up to the heavens in the African bush stirs something inside all of us. Whether old or young, there is an attraction to the great mysteries of the moon, planets, and stars that seems as old as time. The celestial bodies mean different things to different people or groups of people. Some of these feelings are written, but most are not. Some of the stories in Africa surround the Southern Cross and its pointer stars. In many African myths, the Southern Cross represents the journey of giraffes in the sky. In many others, the stars represent lions. Usually Alpha and Beta Centauri were the males of the species, and Alpha, Beta, and Gamma Crucis were the females. This is a beautiful, sparkly treasure to view. If you ever get the chance, I'd sure like to. Along with the glow of the Milky Way in the open sky above, maybe on a boat or a ship out on the ocean. Mm. And on January 31st, 1971, 
Alan Shepard, NASA's first human astronaut in space in 1961, returned to space in a big way as he piloted Apollo 14 to the moon. He greatly enjoyed this, and amongst many exciting experiments, he, he took a makeshift portable golf club and gave it a good swing. The ball was estimated to have risen for 70 seconds and traveled for 2.5 miles. Keep looking up, look around, and get a little bit lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T on UPR, Utah Public Radio, with translator stations statewide and streaming live. I am Dr. Susan Madsen, Director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. According to the CDC, Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACEs, are potentially traumatic events that occur in childhood or adolescence. From 1995 to 1997, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study was conducted at Kaiser Permanente, looking at how abuse, neglect, and household challenges in the first 18 years of a child's life have lasting impacts on them. Of the over 17,000 adults surveyed through the 25 states, 61% reported they had experienced at least one type of adverse childhood experience, and nearly one in six had experienced four or more ACEs. ACEs can create lasting negative effects on health, well-being, and opportunities. They can increase the risks of injury, sexually transmitted infections, poor mental health, maternal and childhood health problems, involvement in sex trafficking, and a wide variety of chronic diseases, including cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and suicide. Luckily, being aware of ACEs will help individuals seek help in overcoming their own difficult childhood experiences and find help to improve their current situation for their own children. Being aware builds our resilience. As a community, we have an opportunity to create safe, stable environments and situations for all children and families. We can start by being aware of the 10 ACEs, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, physical and emotional neglect, and various forms of household dysfunction, including mental illness, domestic violence, divorce, substance abuse, or having an incarcerated relative. If you or families in your community are struggling with any of these conditions, commit to finding resources. By seeking outside support, families can overcome the effects of ACEs and become more resilient together. This tip is brought to you by UPR's Project Resilience. To learn more about the project and explore more resiliency tips, visit upr.org. for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Palmer Home Furnishings, offering a variety of bedroom sets and mattresses from brands like Maloof, Spring Air, and Serta. Located at 1670 South Highway 165 in Providence. Information at palmerhomefurnishings.com. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR, Logan. KUSK, Vernal. KUSL, Richfield. KUST, Moab. KCEU, Price. KUSU, FM, Logan. Also heard at upr.org. Make an appointment with Public Radio's favorite family doc on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. It'll be a jam-packed hour on healthy living, including this tasty recipe for... Strawberry cop salad. We always have a great time. So will you on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. Tune in Sunday at 1 here on Utah Public Radio.